Amen. Good to see you this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 14 this morning. While you're finding your place there in the Word, a couple in things. Two weeks from today, two services at the Oasis. 9 and 11 o'clock, so next week is our last time where we're just going to have one service for a while till we get that building built. Then we'll go back to one service, okay? So it's a means to an end. Two weeks from today, September the 12th, hard to believe. Also, I've been mentioning baptism. We are having a baptism on Saturday afternoon, October 30th at 2 p.m., I know many have already expressed an interest in baptism. If you would like to meet with me about being baptized, then please come at the end of the service on either September 19th or September 26th, and I'll be meeting with you either one of those two Sundays. I'm, I picked two so that if you can't be at the one, hopefully you can be at the other one, and I will go over everything that you need to know about being baptized. We're going to have a pretty large group from children all the way up through adults. It's going to be a great time. All of you are invited that want to come and, and watch those being baptized. Obviously, those of you that are being baptized, you are more than welcome to invite your family and friends to come to be a part of that, and we'll let you know where all that's taking place as the time gets closer. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we are in the midst of a series called Made to Multiply, all about discipleship, about having relationships in our life where we come together with other disciples of Jesus Christ. And a disciple is one who is a fully devoted, committed follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple is not just a believer, okay? All believers are disciples, you see. Uh, or I should say, all disciples are believers, but not all believers are disciples. That's what I meant to say. Because you can be saved and never become a disciple. Never be that all-in, that committed, you see. A disciple is one that is growing and maturing all the time and learning, one who's following Jesus at all times. So there's sort of a different standard, if you will, obviously, for disciples than there are just believers. And Jesus wants us to be disciples and to make disciples. It was the great commission that he left to his disciples. And we have seen how important it is that we have a few quality relationships in our life, throughout our life as Christians, with other disciples in order for iron to sharpen iron and for us to be able to help each other and encourage each other and strengthen each other to go beyond what we could ever become on our own. And we're going to see that again emphasized today in this passage of Scripture. But where Paul is really landing here today is reminding Timothy, his co-disciple, that God wants to use him and that he needs to make sure that he passes that along to his congregation as he pastors them. That God not only created us, but that God desires to save us. It, God is not willing that any should perish, but that 
all should come to repentance, and that God also in his heart desires to use us after we're saved. That's also sort of part of discipleship, is he wants to make an imprint or an impression on others through us. He wants to use us to influence others in a positive way for his kingdom. But there's a way that he does that. There's a way that he wants to work. And so Paul's saying to Timothy, there's the tool that God is looking for, speaking of us as his instruments, his tools. There is the temperament that God is looking for, and then there's the trust that God is looking for from his disciples. I want to begin talking, first of all, about the tool that God is looking for. And I want you to see yourself now today, if you're a believer, not just as a believer of Jesus Christ, not just as a disciple, hopefully, of Jesus Christ, but as a tool in the hand of God for him to use on this earth to make a difference in this world. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord literally run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those that he can strengthen whose hearts are devoted to him, which is really the definition of a disciple in the New Testament, one whose heart is devoted to God. God is looking for people to use as his tools, as his instruments in this world today. And he won't use just anybody, okay? He can use anything or anybody, and he does to bring glory to himself. He uses unsaved people. He uses inanimate objects to bring glory to himself. He uses animals to bring glory. He uses all of creation. All of creation is at the disposal of the Lord of hosts. But where Paul's coming from today is God is looking for a few people that are his people that he can really use in a positive way to make an impact. And there's a certain kind of tool that God is looking for. So I want you to begin with me in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, verse 20, where Paul is using um, an illustration from our houses. He says, now in a wealthy home, there are not only gold and silver vessels or household utensils or household implements, but also ones made of wood and of clay. Some are for honorable use, others are for ignoble use or less than honorable use. If someone cleanses himself of such behavior, now he's switching from household to spiritual. Now he's talking about people. He says, if someone cleanses himself of such behavior, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. That's where I want to start today in talking about the tool that God is looking for. The first is, notice the phrase, a vessel for honorable use. It speaks about being an instrument in the hands of God of great value to God. Now, please don't misunderstand. Every human being that God creates is of great value to God. Jesus Christ died for every human being that ever was 
born and created by God. So we're not talking here about just general value before the eyes of God. God values every person, okay? And again, wants every person to come to know him in a personal way. But this specifically in the context is talking about the tool that God can use. And there are certain Christians that from God's perspective are tools of great value to him because he can always rely on them. He can always count on them. He can always depend upon them, which is what a disciple should be. And they're sort of the ones that he always goes back to use because he knows certain things about them, you see. Not every Christian is a disciple. Not every one then is a tool of great value. You're still of great value to God and always will be. We're not talking here about how much he loves you. That's constant. We're talking here about the perspective of usefulness in making a difference in this world for his kingdom. Okay? So then he goes... They're also set apart. That's our responsibility. That's something we can own. It simply means to be dedicated, to be devoted, to be committed to God, you see. That's what it means to be set apart. And again, not every Christian is equally devoted to God. Not every Christian is equally all in with God. And if God is looking around, his eyes running to and fro about who can I use for this or who? He's going to choose the ones that are devoted to him, you see. That's the ones he's going to choose to use. Now, I don't know about you, but as you grow as a Christian and we become disciples, one of the things that begins to burn inside of us is, God, I want you to use me. I don't want to just be saved. I don't want to just be forgiven and know that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I want to make a difference in this world, God. I want my life to count. I want you to use me. And that burning desire then for God to use me and to allow my life to bring glory and honor to him then hopefully motivates us every day and inspires us to be continuing devoted, dedicated, committed disciples. Then those who are useful, notice the next phrase, for the master. It simply means a go-to, a go-to. We all have those in our household. I have my favorite coffee cup. <laughs> now, like you, I have, we probably have about 50 coffee cups <laughs> that we've accumulated over the years, right? All up there, but I've got one that I always go to every day. It's my go-to, it's my favorite, right? You might have a favorite teacup. You, you might have a favorite glass that you use. You might have a favorite bowl. We all have that favorite, right? It's, we have others, but that's our go-to. That's what Paul's saying. That when you and I put ourselves in that kind of a position with God, God will continue to come back to us and use us continually. We become a go-to implement utensil tool in the hands of God that he not just uses every once in a while, that he literally can use every day to make a difference in this world. That should be what we all aspire to as Christians. And then finally, prepared for every good work. 
This is a very important word. It means to be spiritually fit. Not every Christian is spiritually in shape, healthy, in a good condition. They need a little TLC first. They need, and God is all about that. If you, you know, need some healing and, and restoration and mending and all of that, God will put the time into doing that too if you're willing to let God do it so that then he can restore us to good working order so that he can continue to use us. You see Jesus doing this with his own disciples. Even after Peter failed him and denied him, Jesus met with him in order to try to restore Peter and say, Peter, I'm not done with you yet. You're going to learn from that failure, and we're going to move on, and I'm going to use you in even greater ways. So God never wants our failures, and we're all going to do it to keep us from continuing to press on and pursue and, and desire to be used by him. That's just a comma, if you will, in our life. God's got so much more planned for us, but you and I also have to take the responsibility to make sure that we're doing what we can do to maintain our spiritual fitness. Let me use a physical illustration of that. Some of us today, if we were asked to go climb a mountain physically, we're not in the shape to be able to do that. And sometimes God wants to ask us to climb a spiritual mountain. And he can't ask us because he knows you're not in the spiritual condition to be able to climb that spiritual mountain. So I'm going to have to ask somebody else to climb that spiritual mountain because you're not able to do it. But when you and I maintain our spiritual health and our spiritual fitness, then when God has a spiritual mountain for us to climb or spiritual hurdles for us to, to climb over, to jump over, God knows he can tap us and he can go to us because he knows we're in the spiritual place that we can handle it. That's what it means to be prepared. And all of us can keep ourselves and maintain ourselves with that by just being a disciplined, which is part of that discipleship, disciple discipline, by being a disciplined Christian, one who's faithful, one who's doing the things that we need to do. But that's not all. Notice another part of the tool that God is looking for. Verse 22, keep away from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faithfulness, love, and peace. And then here's the phrase I want us to concentrate on. In company with others who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In other words, literally, in company with other disciples who are pursuing God just like I want to pursue God. So again, can't do this on our own. Have to do it in community have to do it together with other believers, made to multiply. I cannot do this on my own, which is why I'm always calling us to be faithful to God's house and to be faithful to our relationships with each other and, and to build relationships with each other because the tool that God is looking for is not only one that is a vessel for honorable use and set apart and useful for the master and prepared, but one who is living in company, in community, in connection with other believers who are going after God the same way we want to go after God. See, iron sharpening iron. Walking with the right people, if you will. Looking for those that we talked about last week 
who are faithful, reliable, and dependable and pouring ourselves into and having them pour into us. That's what this looks all about. But then there's one more aspect of the tool God is looking for. Verse 15, back up towards the beginning of the passage. Make every effort to present yourself before God. Stop. All that simply means is prioritizing being at God's disposal, making myself available, being ready and willing, saying, God, here I am every day. Because I'll say this again, and I've said it many times if you've been at the Oasis for the last 11 and a half years of the history of our church and heard me speak. It is not our ability that matters most to God. It's our availability. So many Christians do not put themselves at God's disposal because they're always looking at their lack of ability, not realizing or not accepting what the Bible says, that if God calls us to something, he makes us able to do it. But it's more about just having a heart that says, God, I'm yours. Making myself available, presenting myself to God. But then he ends by saying, as a proven worker. And then that's my responsibility. And that simply is one who has put in the time, the energy, and the effort in order to give God our best. That's what a proven worker is. I can give you a good illustration of that from my far distant past. Back when I was in school many years ago, and dinosaurs still roamed the earth. No, not that far. There were times when I was in school where I knew a test was coming. And I didn't study for that test. I did not put in the time and the energy and the effort. And yet I walked into that classroom not really feeling very good because I wasn't a proven worker. I knew I wasn't going to be able to do my best on that test because I, I hadn't put in the time, the energy, and the effort to prepare for that and to put myself in a good place. I had a whole different perspective when I would put in the time, the energy, and the effort. And then when that test came, I had much more confidence and, and I just had a different air about me when I walked into that classroom to take that test, you see. And that, that's what God, God we, we can't just do nothing and sit back passively and then expect God to somehow use our life in such great ways and to make a difference in this world when I'm not doing my part. See, God does his part. But God also in his disciples and his people wants to see that we're willing to do our part. We have to take responsibility. And listen, I know that's hard today because we are living in a world where nobody wants to take responsibility for anything, including themselves. We want to pass the buck to everybody else but us. But God is putting the onus on us. He's saying, in order to be a tool that I can use, it's my go-to, you and I have to take responsibility for our own spiritual being, well-being, welfare, health, fitness, and all of that. We've got to do our part. And when we do our part, God more than shows up and magnifies himself through us. That's the tool God's looking for. But now let's talk for a few moments this morning about the temperament that God is looking for. And this is why this is so timely. 
because before I even begin, let me say something that's very self-evident to all of us. We live in a world of hatred today. We live in a world that's very combative. We live in a world as Christians of a lot of animosity and antagonism. And people are looking to fight with one another. And yet God drops us into this world and says, I want you to make a difference. But I don't want you to do it through fighting with people. I want you to do it by loving them. Jesus said to his followers, John 13, by this kind of love, the same love that I have for you, by this kind of love, quality of love, that's how all men will know you are my what? Disciples. Not by being a good fighter, but by being a good lover. Or even what Paul says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. You see. So let's look at this, beginning in verse 14. Remind people of these things, Timothy. Literally, continually point out these things so that they're never forgotten. And solemnly charge them before the Lord, meaning help them to appreciate the gravity and seriousness of what God is about to say. And here it is. Do not wrangle over words. Do not be one that starts a war of words. Do not be one that enters into a war of words. This is of no benefit. This will not profit anybody spiritually. It only brings ruin on those who listen. Unfortunately, there are many Christians, because of the times in which we live and the culture and the way the world is today, we have just as many Christians who are jumping in and either starting wars of words with people or entering into war of words with people. And Paul's saying, no spiritual benefit in that at all. In fact, I love the word in the Greek that's used for the word ruin here that's translated in the Net Bible. It's a word that you can even understand in English, catastrophe. It's spelled with a K in Greek, but it's the word catastrophe. It only brings catastrophe when we enter in or start wars of words with other people, including other Christians. And yet, what do we see out there in social media today? What do we see with people as they have conversations with people? Wars of words. No spiritual benefit, God says. That's not the temperament that God is looking for. Look at verse 16. Avoid profane chatter because those occupied with it will stray further and further into ungodliness. What's profane chatter? Let me give you Pastor Jeff's definition. Being like those who like to hear themselves talk. Droning on and on about things that don't matter. Trivial things. Things, again, that don't make a difference. But yet, boy, we like to hear ourselves talk about those things, they do not advance the kingdom of God. This reminds us a lot about these biblical principles, doesn't it, about 
death and life are in the power of the tongue and, and how the biblical principle is many times the more we talk, the more we end up sinning and why there's a whole chapter in the New Testament, James chapter 3, that talks about guarding our tongue and, and watching over our words and stuff like that because the Bible says better to talk less and listen more than to talk more and listen less. But we live in a world that's hard to do. That's a challenge for us as Christians. Why? Because we're living amongst people who want to talk more and listen to each other less, and yet God is saying, I need you to be different because you're my disciple. And I'm not asking you to win a fight. I'm asking you to make a difference for me in this world. And you're not going to do it by fighting with other people. Look at verse 23. Reject foolish and ignorant controversies. In other words, do not take part or get involved with things you aren't sure of. Another Bible translation would use the word speculations here. Don't spend a lot of time on things that we're not sure of. And yet we talk about them as if we can be sure about them. We're being dogmatic many times about things, even as Christians, we should not be dogmatic about because God's not dogmatic about it. And so Paul says, you know that when we start taking part in conversations about things that we can't be sure of, it only breeds what? Infighting, conflict, contention. And then notice what he says in verse 24. And the Lord's slave, the one that is useful for the master, must not engage in heated disputes, must not be looking for a fight. Now again, challenging, right? Because we're living in a world where people are looking to fight. And yet we're called not to be out there looking to fight. Now, I know what many of you are thinking because I see the way you're looking at me. You're going, well, Jeff, does that mean God wants me to just be a doormat and let people walk all over me? No, not at all. See, again, that's where God says, you and I can hold to our convictions without being contentious and combative about it. There are many times throughout, and I'm not, please, I'm not using myself as an illustration, like I always do this right. I'm simply saying when I did do it right, I simply said something like, we're just going to have to agree to disagree and walk away and not continue to try to beat something into somebody that they're not ready to hear, you see. Because that is of no spiritual benefit. That only brings catastrophe. That might only push people away. It's like these people that they do things in God's name that only brings terrible things upon the name of God. Out there street preaching to people that really don't want to hear, and yet somehow they think that's going to win people over instead of turning them off, or holding signs like, because you engage in such and such behavior, you realize you're going to hell. That's really going to win people over, approaching them from that perspective? No. That's not how we win people over 
to the Lord? We do it through love, the same way that God dealt with us. I mean, you see this in the ministry of Jesus while he was here on earth. He's the perfect, sinless son of God. If anybody had the right to go around to every human being he ran into while he was here and say, well, that's wrong with you, and this is wrong with you, and I'm, I'm here, Jesus like, I don't have time for that. First of all, he says, I didn't come that time to judge. I came to save. In fact, even when those brothers came because they were contending over their inheritance, Jesus could have probably been a great judge and solved that. He said, I don't want to get involved in your family issue. I don't want to do it. You see, he could have, but he chose not to insert himself. Why? Because that's not what he was here for. That's not what he was about, and that's not what we should be about either. We should always remember we are to be tools in the hands of our God to make a positive difference for Jesus Christ on this earth. And we're not going to do it through fighting with other people or judging them. We do it through loving them. Jesus said, love your enemies. That's pretty clear. Love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you and abuse you. That's the disciple way, you see, not the world's way. So that's the temperament God is looking for. In fact, notice beginning or continuing with me in verse 24, be kind toward all. Stay calm and composed. Be a de-escalator rather than an escalator. An apt teacher, obviously that would more apply to Timothy in his position, but one who knows their stuff. Patient, maintaining a sweet spirit, even in the face of provocation. That's what the word patient here means. A sweet spirit, even in the face of being provoked. Jesus Christ is a great example of that. All that was hurled against him, he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. In fact, all that came out of his mouth was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. To the very end, Jesus didn't try to argue with people, even though he was the Son of God. Correcting opponents, there are times, with gentleness, great care and consideration. Gently, gently, if God does give us an opportunity and, and there's somebody that's willing to hear us out, then there's a way to do it, a way that preserves the relationship, maybe even for later on where God can circle back in either with us or somebody else. But today, so many of us as Christians, we care more about our reputation than we do being used of God to make a positive. We care more about being right and making sure that in every conversation we're in, that we come out knowing that we were right and that we won that than we are about being used by God. And God is saying to us, we got to change because there's a certain tool that God is looking for and there's a certain temperament God is looking for in order to win people and make a difference and make an impression and make an imprint for God. Then look at verse 25, the trust that God is looking for. 
correcting opponents with gentleness, perhaps God will grant them repentance and then knowledge of the truth, because knowledge of the truth can only come after repentance, which is why, again, if I had hair many times, I'd be pulling it out because I hear Christians arguing with people who aren't saved yet about something that they feel they should know and how can you expect them to know that or be there if they haven't even accepted Christ as their Savior and have the Holy Spirit yet? Knowledge of the truth only comes after they're willing to repent and change their heart and mind towards Christ and accept Christ as their Savior. Then we can start talking about knowledge of the truth. First thing is, i got to get them saved, but not me, right? Because notice what Paul says. Only God can change a heart. I can't change somebody else's heart. You can't change somebody else's heart. Only God can change a heart. And notice what else Paul is reminding Timothy of here. Repentance is a gift from God. He says perhaps God will grant repentance to that individual. And God wants all people to repent, but he also looks at their heart first because he won't force his way on any of us. But when he sees that there's a heart that's willing to change, which is what repentance is, a heart change, God, change my heart, God's right there to begin to transform and change our hearts, see? But only God can do that, you see. God is always and only the agent of change in our life and everybody else's life. And God then wants his disciples that he is using to trust him. And let me tell you a couple different ways this works. First, many times we're not trusting God because all we're looking at is the external, what we can see. And many times we even as Christians conclude, God's not working in their life because I don't see him working in their life. Well, God works at levels that you and I can't see. There are many times where God is speaking to people on their bed at night, just between him and them, in their heart, in their mind, and he's trying to reach them, and he's doing things. And you and I can't always judge how and when and where and all that God works because God wants us to trust him that he's always trying to work and change people's hearts. And he wants us to have that level of trust because... He's always at work in people's lives, whether we can see it or measure it or not. And second, we've got to trust God and not take even more on ourselves than what God expects of us. See, part of, I think, where Christians feel like, I've, I've got to get this person to change their mind about this, or I've, is, is somehow that's on us. No. We can be a channel and God can use us to be his, his spokesperson, but, but only, only after we've determined that the Holy Spirit has prepared them to hear what we need to say to them and that their heart is open to it. Otherwise, it's better that we keep our mouth shut. That's trusting God, even in his timing of not only what to say, but when to say it. And listen, here's the cool thing. God doesn't hold us responsible for other people's response. 
So don't put that pressure on yourself. God never does. The greatest illustration of this in the Bible to me is Noah. God put Noah in the hall of fame saying, look, look at my great servant Noah. And yet, 120-some years he preached to people, and the only people he could get to open up their hearts to get on the ark with him was his own family. But God didn't say he was a failure just because others did not follow him. God said he was faithful. God rewarded him. God has honored him throughout all time. Why? Because Noah just was who Noah needed to be. Just be the example to others. And if they don't follow, if their heart is never open, if, if they're not willing to listen to you, Noah, that's not on you. And it's not on us either. It's not on us either. Only God can change other people's hearts. And listen, God wants to change hearts here today. God may want to change hearts there in your home today because God is here and God is moving. And so at this point, I want to ask you that unless it's an emergency, I'm going to ask you not to move at this point. The only people I want to ask to move are those on the worship team because I want to just spend a moment right here, right now, before we enter in to our final song this morning. I think there's some heart change that needs to happen in our lives today. Here's one way that can happen. Some of you here, you need to have a heart change. You know why? Because you've been sitting there listening to this message and you're still not convinced that God could use you wants to use you, and all of that. You've never come to that point. God can't use me. You need to have a heart change. Because God not only wants to use each and every one of us, he can use each and every one of us. And not just in a little way. God can use you in a real big way if you trust him. If you believe you're God. So I'm asking for those in that place today, let God change your heart about how you look at yourself and see yourself as God sees you. This valuable tool and instrument that God can use to make a difference in this world every day. Others of you, maybe you need this heart change. You've been trying to make a difference in this world for Christ, but you've been doing it the wrong way. You've been buying into the philosophy of the world as I got to fight with people and I got to, I got to be combative and I got to be antagonistic and I got to be out there fighting. No, fighting has never won anybody to the Lord or even won a Christian in any direction at all. And maybe you say, God, I, I need to have a heart change. I've allowed the world and the way the world operates and maybe even other Christians to influence me. I've allowed what I hear on television and I've allowed myself to get ramped up even because I've watched too much television and because I've watched too much of social media and I allow my emotions to get the best of me and then I go out there and I start fighting and that's not God's way. Maybe there's another kind of heart change that needs to happen. 
And that is that maybe for some of you, you need to just trust God that he's working even when you can't see him working. That he loves those people that you want to see change happen in their life even more than you do. Because he created them and he saved them. And maybe we need a heart change because maybe you're taking too much on yourself. Maybe you're taking on more responsibility than God even wants you to take on that you're taking the responsibility of people's heart change on you. God doesn't put that on you. God asks us to be a good example, and God asks us to seize those opportunities if those opportunities open up from that other person. But if not, God just simply says, just be a good example and let them see your life. And if they never come around, if they never turn around, if they never have a heart change, you can't take that responsibility on yourself. That's not on you. So let God change your heart there. I'm going to ask you to stand. Nicole and I chose this song as our final song because we thought after sort of going through what this day was going to look like, we all need to look to God never hurts to look to God. That's where we need to keep our eyes, on the Lord, and ask God, give me the help that I need, because this is a tough assignment you've given us, to be your salt and light in a world that, man, it's, it's rough out there. Yeah, but we can be different. We should be different. And you know what, too? Maybe some of you have come here today and maybe this has nothing to do with what we've talked about today, but you just, you just need prayer. You just need to be praying about something or praying for something, or you just want maybe another brother, because in company with each other, right, you want somebody else to be praying with you or for you about something. Here's what I'm going to ask. As we sing this song, God, I look to you. Those of you that want to come here to the front and be praying about something, praying for something, I'm going to invite you, you come today. And if you're on our prayer team or a leader here at the church or just anybody, it doesn't matter, or even if you want to come and you want to grab somebody to come with you and pray with you, as you come, you go right ahead. And listen, you may be up here praying and somebody may want to come and say, can I pray with you? Just respectfully say, if you don't want them to be praying with you or whatever, I'd rather just have some time, just me and God. They'll respect that. But if you want somebody to come alongside and pray with you right now as we look to the Lord, do it. Because that's what we're supposed to do as his disciples. We're supposed to do this together and help each other to be encouraged that you're not in this alone. So let's look to God. Amen.